For 82 years, the News Gazette and WDWS, together the undisputed leader in local news and sports. News Talk 1400, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at WDWS.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Hello again, everybody, and good morning. Welcome to Illini Pella's Saturday Sports Talk with you from now until 11 o'clock. First uh, Illini Pella's Saturday Sports Talk of the year. Mr. Tate, how are you? Very good, very good. Got a little light snow in downtown Champaign. Not to last very long, but it is January, and we've got plenty to talk about. The phone line is open, 356-9397 is the number. We'll talk Illinois football, Illinois basketball. I shouldn't be feeling very good after you bring those two things up. Well, what's that, <laughs> Illinois football and basketball talk? Yeah, it, it, if you really look at it and you're honest with it, I mean, the football team had the worst bowl appearance of any Big Ten team, and I don't know what that was at Michigan State the other day. I haven't figured that out. I haven't figured that out either, and uh, the Big Ten ended up, after a good start, ending up 4-5 and five in Big Ten plays and, and Big Ten bowl games involving Big Ten teams, and as you mentioned, uh, the Illini suffered the most lopsided. The other games were pretty good. Well, yeah, Wisconsin lost another one-pointer, and Indiana lost a one-pointer, and I guess Indiana couldn't cover an onside kickoff and maybe didn't even know it was coming with three minutes to go or so, but in any case, uh, they did themselves reasonably proud even in defeat, as did Ohio State, certainly played well in defeat and had everything go against them. Yeah, there were some bad calls and some uh, reviews, not only in that game, but in the Illinois game as well. I don't think it would have turned the Illinois game like it had the potential to turn the Ohio State game. They had one touchdown taken off the board that was clearly a, a scoop and score, I thought. And uh, they had another one taken away on a on a touchdown pass to Dobbins that I guess was okay. But uh, and then the, the uh, targeting... Uh, hit on the quarterback with the ejection of the player. I just thought that was yeah, a, a really tough call. And there was a very similar call in the Illinois game as well. And I don't know how you get a handle on that. I I understand what they're trying to do with the targeting stuff, but can they – I know they don't have to eject the player. Well, there was <laughs> – they should just drop this whole business of uh, throwing players out of the game. I mean, that's ridiculous. Because so many, I mean, I so I mean, there might be a case where it would be reasonable, but in most cases, th- when the when the ball carrier ducks his head, what do you do if you're tackling? It's too late. <laughs> yep, you're you're uh, airborne in many cases uh, going in to make that tackle. So that's something that uh, they'll have to try to figure out at some point. There's a Big Ten basketball today, a couple of games, a couple of games last night, Friday night, Big Ten play, and we talked uh, last month about uh, the uh, dominance of the home team in the early games of Big Ten play. Well, that's turning around now. Wisconsin and Rutgers both winning on the road. Ohio State is still ranked number five. They won't be. Uh, come Ohio up. State really, as uh, four-fifths of their team was awful. 
Wesson was good. <laughs> Wesson was dominant early, but I, I told you earlier, Wisconsin didn't score a point the first six minutes. It just didn't look like they'd ever score, and they finally kind of hung on and fell back six, eight points, and it didn't look like they were going to win at all. In fact, even into the second half, it looked like Wisconsin would win the game. I'm sorry, it looked like Ohio State would win the game. Then Wisconsin just kept hanging on and hanging on and then just finished with a rush. Final score was the Badgers 61, Ohio State 57. Wisconsin now 2-1 and one in the league, and Ohio State 1-2 and two in Big Ten play. Also last night, Rutgers on the road beat Nebraska 79-62. Rutgers is 2-1 and one in conference play now, 11-3 and three overall. I'm not sure how good they are, but I know they're not bad. They're, they proved that last year when they came in here and spanked the Illini. Yeah, well... Rutgers is a, is a good ba- basketball team, even though they lost their center, who just up and transferred. He was their leading scorer and leading rebounder last year, and he left, and you just think, well, they, they won't have much left after that, and they're playing pretty good. Coming up today in Big Ten play, Indiana is at Maryland at 11, number 23, Iowa, on the road at 21st-ranked Penn State at 1 o'clock, and the Fighting Illini back in action tomorrow, part of a three-game Sunday slate Tomorrow night, 7 o'clock Sunday night basketball. Purdue at 2-1 and one in the league. Illinois at 1-2. and two Is this a must-win, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> Is this a must-win? I think they're all becoming must-wins. Yeah, well, I think home games are for sure. I don't think Illinois is going to win many road games. But uh, home, they've got to they pull them out if they're going to have any chance at all. Got to learn to maybe, – maybe it's too late, but you got to learn to shoot the ball – Shoot the three-pointer. You can't be that bad. Well, you know, I thought wrongly that Illinois had three uh, had a three-guard lineup that was pretty good. When he, when you throw Feliz out there, and he started the season, you know, as the starter, and uh, then you got Frazier and and Io. I I thought that's three pretty. I mean, who? How many teams have got better guards than those three? And the answer is lots of teams. <laughs> Everybody. Well, even given those three guys, and, and you think the collective strength of those guys, uh, of being good guards working into the system together, none of them were great three-point shooters. Frazier's, Frazier's the best. They, I think Frazier's really good, except if you let him shoot on the arc open, he's really good. But he's not getting on the arc open because everybody knows that right. they, they've got to stop that. And uh, the the thing with the, the experiment with uh, Georgie at the four is just hasn't worked out at all. And so you've got basically three of those. And, and the other thing, you, you they're not good three-point shooters, and they're also not good playmakers. In other words, they're not good assist guys. You've got to have a guy that, can, that averages at least four or five assists at point guard to be any, you know, that, that's, that's what a good point guard does. Iowa's set good, up his teammates. Iowa's a good playmaker for himself. For himself, yeah. I mean, he's he's really quick to the hole, isn't he? I haven't seen many better getting to the basket. Uh-uh. He's got that good six-five size and such. But uh, as far as setting up other guys, you're right. They don't have a, a Cassius Winston or a guy like that uh, in the lineup. They've got the, that guy apparently coming next year in Cabello, but uh, and he's having a good, good uh, senior season. But good mm-hmm. or sensational. Well, well how about? Uh, Above average, let's go there. Well, I, 30, I'm t- they're talking about him being one of the top five guards in the country. I, I talked to Sturdy and the guys at uh, 247, and, and they're talking about him being one of the best guards in the country in terms of playmaking. He may not be the best pro prospect, 
but he is uh, among the best uh, in terms of college. And 33 assists in that tournament, 19 rebounds in one game, scoring well. I mean, he's just turning. Now, here we are talking about something that's a year away, but uh, it, at least it's a little encouraging to know you got something like that coming because Illinois needs a playmaker. So we'll talk more Illinois basketball as we uh, move along. We'd be happy to take your comments as well. What do you think is going to happen down the stretch here? We're just turning the calendar into the the new uh, year as the season goes on. Illinois and Purdue tomorrow night at the State Farm Center at 7 o'clock. Have you put uh, your final touches on the Illinois football season and uh, what you saw coming down the stretch? You and I were talking before we came on the air a little bit of how that season went and how it kind of uh, – went south in the last uh, three games with uh, uh, three straight losses and some injuries. And uh, now you've got, uh, you're losing some key guys. You've got some some people coming back for sure. But I think uh, there's a lot of question marks going into 2020. Well, we're just going to have to, uh, th- th- this is going to be a hard pull. Uh, when you see, do you, you know, you saw my column for tomorrow, probably. That mm-hmm. Don't you wince every time that they, the other team drops back to pass? Yeah. I mean, it just looked to me like the, it isn't just that they're a little bit open. They are wide open. There's an, there's an opening over the center of the, of, the, of the field that's always seems to be available to the other teams. And I'm not convinced that Illinois can do better. I, I just don't know if, if Lovey's the right guy to be his own coordinator. What do you think? I think that needs to be discussed at least at the – the higher level, I think a defensive. I, I don't think he's going to give it up. I'm not. Right. I, I just don't know if he's the right guy because they're they're completing too many pass. Every every passer that you play against, when you start out and, and you, you go against Mike Glass of Eastern Michigan, you go against Adrian Martinez from Nebraska, Tanner Morgan from Minnesota, Shea Patterson. You play in those guys in order. Is everybody that? I mean, is everybody that good, or is it us? Questions that need to be addressed, no <laughs> doubt. But And we'll do that some more coming up. Uh, here's our guest list for today. Coming up after our first break, we'll talk Illinois football with Doug Bouchon from Rivals.com, Orange and Blue News. He's one guy that thinks that there should be a defensive coordinator named. We'll talk more to him about that. Coming up at 9.30, some college basketball conversation. John Crispin, who now works for ESPN, covering college basketball. He'll join us to talk about uh, the Big Ten and the uh, landscape of college basketball. Coming up at 10 o'clock, leading off our second hour, Nathan Shieldhouse, former Illini quarterback and player of the uh, century, player of the decade. That's twice I've said that now inadvertently. Player of the decade um, will join us. He is an assistant coach at Iowa State. He'll join us at 10 o'clock. At 10.30, Mike Small will join us to talk about a decade of excellence in uh, college golf, Big Ten golf, Illinois golf at 10.30. In the meantime, Plenty of open uh, time for your phone calls, 356-9397. It is uh, 9-11 on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. And if you've been considering replacing uh, the doors or windows in your home, you're always aware that the most important doors are the entry door and the patio door. And a trip to the Pella Window Store at 1001 North Country Fair Drive can help clear up what can be an overwhelming situation in many cases. Mike Mary and uh, the Illini Pella team have been fixtures in this community for going on 50 years now. There are many choices in windows and doors, and the Pella Window Store has eight patio doors on display in their showroom. They'll not only help you decide what's best for you, they'll stand behind them 
with a limited lifetime warranty. They offer one-stop shopping. You'll see the products. Talk about installation and financing as well. Window and door shopping is not something you do every day, so you want to do it right the first time. Do your research, set your budget, then let the pros at the Pella Window Store work for you, and then you can show off your new windows and doors to family and friends. Check them out. The Pella Window Store, 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. Open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, and Saturday by appointment. We'll take a time out and be back with more on the line I Pella Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS after this. Join us on Sunday night for Fighting Illini Basketball at 7 as they host the Purdue Boilermakers. Illini Game Day with Scott Beatty comes your way at 5.30 Sunday. And we roll on on Illini Pella's Saturday Sports Talk. It is moving up on 9.14 with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Phone line is open, 356-9397. Happy New Year and welcome to the program for the first time in the new year. Doug Bouchon from Rivals.com, Orange and Blue News. Good morning, Doug. How you doing? Uh, good morning. I'm doing well. Thanks. Let's uh, talk Illinois football a little bit. Now that uh, everything's in the books for the 2019 season, as you look back, I know you've done some season-ending stories and some uh, look at the numbers and things like that. What's the biggest takeaway that uh, you get? Uh, is it the fact they made a bowl game? Is it the fact they made some incremental improvement? Or how do, how do you look at it now that you've had time to look back? Yeah, bowl game's obviously the biggest story. You know, it's uh, viewed as progress, and that's how they're going to sell it. And I think the fans see it that way. You know, the trip out to San Francisco was a really nice trip, but a really cool place to have a bowl game. We had a lot of fun out there, and it was good for the team, good for the players, and uh, good for recruiting. You know, it's something they can go on the road now and sell to the to the kids and and uh, and uh, sell it as progress. And I, I think that's obviously the biggest story, and that's the way the fans are going to see it. Okay, now what's the biggest job when you start looking at 2020? Well, you know, you got to get some depth, especially on the defense. You know, the, def- the defense was not good again. If you look at the stats, and we did that in a front-page story yesterday, you know, we, we looked at the numbers and looked at the stats, and, and the defense still couldn't stop anybody. And, you know, they won some games because they got some turnovers. Wisconsin and Michigan State are the two, you know, the two that really jump out at you, the two big wins. and. That's what really propelled propelled them to a bowl game, but uh, they, you know they still had the, the the number fourteen or number uh, eleven, I think, over, overall defense. You know, total defense in the in the Big Ten, uh, still one of the worst um, uh, rushing defenses in the Big Ten. Couldn't stop anybody running the ball, and, and they really got to make some progress there. They got to find some somebody up front who can get some pressure and and, and get a push up front. You got to replace Billy Harding, a middle linebacker, who was. A, you know, great against a run this year, one of the best in the country. And, and I just got to get some stops, you know. When they're not turning the ball over, they can't stop anybody. And, and that's really the, the biggest offseason thing that they got to work on. And, and they got to get healthy. You know, offense uh, lost a lot of guys. They lost, you know, three big receivers. Uh, and I think that really caught, probably cost them a win or two down the stretch of the season, just losing those guys. And, and they got to get healthy and stay healthy next year. Well, Doug, this is Lauren. Uh, when you lose Harding and you lose Milan and you lose Oliver and two other defensive tackles, it would appear to me that's a real concern because those those are your veteran players and those are the seniors you lose. And that's when you start talking about stopping the opposing rush or getting any kind of a rush on the uh, other quarterback. Those are those are positions we don't know who's going to be playing in there. Well, that's right, and it throws Stanley Green in there too. Really good against the run, uh, yeah. Free safety, I think right? When he came back, you know, in the Michigan game, made a big difference uh, in the defense, and 
uh, and that's another guy to look at. And I think they got it. They they're probably going to, you know, on the offense last year, they looked at the transfer market and it made a big difference for them. They brought in two wide receivers from USC. They brought in, of course, Brandon Peters, the quarterback from Michigan, who was the starter and did a good job. And uh, I think they got to do the same thing on defense. So, you know, look at a safety, maybe look at a defensive tackle and, and, uh, and you know, try to get some guys that are going to make a, make a difference for them on the defensive side of the ball. And, and they got to replace guys up front and, and some young guys along the D-line, like a guy like Calvin Avery, for example, has really got to step up and, and live up to the expectations they had for him when they recruited him. Uh, some of the young linebackers like uh, Kalen Tolson and Tariq Barnes and Shimon Cooper, those are the guys they're going to look for in spring ball to, to make a leap and, and uh, try to replace, uh, uh, you know, DeLay Harding at the middle linebacker spot. And, and then safety is probably the biggest need, I think, if you look at the recruiting here for you know, the February signing period and then the transfer market, uh, they got to find a safety, find somebody that can come in and step in for Stanley Green and, and make an impact. Well, uh, Doug, you're kind of on record as far as uh, you're not convinced that, uh, that Lovey's the right guy to, to run the defense. What's, what's your take on that? Well, I don't like the scheme. You know, it, it's, it's not a, you know, Four years running now, they haven't made a lot of progress defensively. They turned they turned the ball over, and that was a big thing this year. And that that's they call it levy ball, and that's what it is. And but uh, you know the the um, I think they're uh, schematically they're they're behind when they get out there running this uh, cover two defense. You know it, there, there's so many holes in, it, especially in the middle of the field and and uh, down the sideline uh, throwing the ball. And they had one you know one of the worst passing defenses in the Big Ten too. And, and, uh, you know, it's a scheme that just hasn't proven that it can work at the college level. And, uh, you know, uh, Lovey can be pretty stubborn about that. You know, he's successful in, in the NFL, but that was a long time ago. And uh, I think they got to try to make a change and, and figure things out schematically and, and, and run a scheme that's going to work at the college level. Well, I said this, and, and I, pro- I think you agree, that if Lovey was uh, evaluating a different defensive coordinator and saw these results he'd make a change <laughs> but I don't think he's going to make a change when he's that person and he's also got his son a linebacker coach and he did a good job at linebacker coach I think but uh I just don't see I mean this is a family thing now and it's I as far as any change I, I think it's unlikely and when you take a when you start and you lose Shibonio you lose Harding you lose uh key guys up front you lose uh, Milan you lose Oliver they 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 don't figure to be better defensively next year than they were this year. Now they figure to be better offensively. They got so many people back, but defensive. I don't see where they they figure to be better, and I don't think that Lubby's going to make a change. What do you think? I think you're right. You mentioned Miles Smith, and you know, we were really critical of that hire. You know, but uh, but uh, yeah, give him credit. The proof's in the pudding, right? The linebackers played really well. Delay Harding had a big year, you know, and. And uh, Jake Hansen was good until he got hurt, turning the ball over, forcing fumbles. So the linebackers, uh, they did a pretty good job. They they weren't great in pass coverage, you know, and, uh, and that goes to the lack of speed, I think, probably, and lack of quickness. But but he did he did good. But you're right. You're right. I mean, you look at the defense, you look at the guys they lose, you look at the results the last four years, and and they don't figure to be better. And uh, you know, we want to see some changes this spring. It's going to be interesting to see what Levy does. And, uh, you know, he has been willing to make changes in the past on the other side of the ball. You know, it took him a little while. The first couple of years were, were not very good on offense, but he changed the offensive coordinator, brought in Rod Smith, made a big difference, and the offense is pretty good now. And, 
they should score points next year if they stay healthy. But uh, you know, will he take a critical um, look at himself and, and the results on the field and, and to make the changes that are necessary? I don't know. And, and uh, you know, he's never coached a different style of defense that I know of. He's always played the cover two, a uh, 4-3 defense, and and, uh, and we'll just have to see this spring if, if he decides that uh, he needs to make a change on that side. Talking to Doug Bouchon. If you'd like to join us, three five six nine three nine seven is the number. You mentioned the uh, difficulty in stopping the run. On the other side, Illinois did not run the ball as well this year as they did last, averaging about two yards less per carry, and that's the result of not having a running quarterback, certainly partly. But uh, do you see the running game? How do you see it next year? Mike Epstein should be back, but he's been injury-prone. They've got a outstanding freshman coming in. Uh, Rayvon Bonner's still around, but uh, how, how do you size up um, the potential running game next year? Well, I mean, you got to look up front, right? And, uh, and uh, the offensive line's a veteran offensive line. They're not going to have any excuses there. They have some uh, some really good players. And Kendrick Green had a great year um, um, in rushing, uh, rush blocking, run blocking. And you know, he's coming back, left guard. And, and so they're going to be good up front. But you're, yeah, you're right about the, you know, the quarterback. They didn't have AJ Bush, a running quarterback. You know, the the play calling was different this year with the Rod Smith. Not, you know, he didn't really get guys wide and get them out in space like he did the previous year. Reggie Corbin wasn't as productive. Uh, Dre Brown had a good senior year, and that was a good pair of running backs. But I think they had, you know, they didn't. They only averaged, uh, you know, just over four yards rush, and after being second, I think, in the Big Ten in 2018 in, in yards per rush. So it was a different offense, um, you know. But they're bringing in Reggie Love, you know, the kid out of St. Louis, uh, Trinity Catholic, who's four-star kid, one of the best running backs in the Midwest. Really love him a lot, and I, I think he can make an impact as a, as a true freshman. He's that kind of player. You know, and, and repl- try to replace uh, 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 Reggie uh, and and Dre Brown. Are you basing that uh, uh, feeling about Ru- uh, Love on his junior year? Because he played he played very little uh, as a senior. I think well, he, he got, hurt his ankle. You know, yeah, second game. Yeah, didn't he, he? he broke his ankle against East St. Louis. I think it was the opening game of the year and didn't play. But yeah, as a junior, we watched him a lot. I went to several of his games, watched his junior film. And, and uh, you know he camped with us too. With the, uh, he went to our rivals three star camp and and was one actually one of the best running backs in the country. Uh, the way we graded him at that camp, you know he can do everything. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can run between the tackles. He can he can outrun guys when he gets to the corner. Uh, just a really good back, and I think one of the best backs we've had in quite some time in Illinois. The Illinois recruiting class sitting at twelve or thirteen, depending on uh, your count. But uh, the uh, next signing period coming up. In February, what do you think will happen between now and then? And do you think uh, Lovey and uh, the staff will go to that uh, transfer pol- portal to the same uh, effect that they did last year? Yeah, I think that's what they're looking at. You know, I think there's right now that uh, you're going to see a lot of guys in the next couple of weeks uh, announce that they're going to transfer and they've entered the portal. And it, I think they're sitting back a little bit and waiting to see to see who enters the portal and who they're going to start chasing and start bringing in for official visits. That's kind of the mode that they're in right now. Uh, as far as signing uh, more high school kids, I don't see anybody out there that they're really looking at really strong. Maybe if somebody, you know, somebody uh, who didn't sign uh, shows some interest. But, uh, you know, they are looking at safety position, looking at JUCOs, and there's a JUCO kid named Art Green who's, uh, you know, one of the one of the top 
uh, junior college players in the country is safety from Hutchinson Community College in Kansas, and they're looking at him. They hope to get him on campus for a visit, but yeah, I, the transfer market is really what they're sitting back and waiting on. How do you? Uh, how much work is it just to filter through that thing and eliminate all the transfers that you don't want? I mean, when you're involved with hundreds of names, I would think that's a big workload just to make sure you eliminate those that you're not interested in. It is. You know, I combed the, I combed the whole thing a couple of weeks ago, and there's so many kids. And the thing you don't know is you don't know. You know, if a kid, is a kid transferring, and is he going down to a to a lower level? Is he going to go? You know, is he going to go from FBS to FCS or or to a junior college or something like that? Uh, or is he a kid who's who's looking to to a, a bump up to a, a better school? And and you you got to look at the film on him. You got to you got to do a lot of research, and and uh, that's a big job for this coaching staff. And the, and the recruiting office is going to have to look through the portal and try to figure things out. But uh, I think. Uh, um, one of the things about it is that the kids actually will reach out to the schools that they're interested in. So they're going to hear from a lot of kids who, who want to transfer, and they, they're looking at, at the, the Midwest and looking at the Big Ten. And, and uh, so, you know, some names will start popping up here in the next uh, couple of weeks. What was the biggest surprise in this Big Ten season for you? Was it uh, was it Minnesota? Oh, it was definitely Minnesota. You know, you got to give P.J. Fleck a lot of credit that, you know he, you know he rubs a lot of people a little bit the wrong way, and his personality is is unique. And, you know you're not gonna, you're not going to run into too many guys like PJ Fleck, and, uh, you know, but it, it works for him, right? I mean you can't argue with 11 wins, and you know and, and they they reeled off all those wins, and they got the top 10 ranking, and and uh, uh, they have a really good quarterback there in Minnesota. So yeah, it, it, that was a huge surprise, and I think Nebraska was a surprise. Uh, if you flip it the other way, you know everybody. A lot of people had them as winning the Big Ten West preseason, and they just didn't pan out. They got a good quarterback there, and they're making some progress, but they didn't have a good season. Well, I just wonder where uh, Nebraska's headed. Now, is Martinez, uh, did he have surgery? I heard, I heard he did. That uh, Not that he wouldn't be back next season, but I understand that they're they're trying to evaluate some things and make some changes there at, at Nebraska. There's, they don't uh, accept – uh, non-winning seasons very well. <laughs> they, they, the, the fans and and everybody connected, uh, they'll they'll make some dramatic changes, don't you think? Yeah, you know, I, I I look at like Wisconsin a few years ago, right when they had a coach who came in and ran a totally different scheme, and and they didn't win, and it didn't take, and and they made a rapid change. Now Scott Frost is there, and I think he's going to stay there, uh, but but uh, you know. When you come in and you throw the ball around in Nebraska, at a school that's traditionally a running school and playing power football, I think the fans are going to be skeptical, even though he's a graduate of Nebraska and a popular guy. But those kind of results they're not going to accept. And I think Nebraska fans are they're still looking back at the 90s and thinking that's the kind of program that they are. You know, a lot like Indiana in basketball, right? A traditional power and not winning and and uh, they're going to have to make some changes. They're recruiting well, I think, and that's going to help them a lot, obviously. You know, recruiting is the lifeblood of the program. But, uh, yeah, disappointing season for them, for sure, when they were projected to be a lot better. Hey, Doug, appreciate your time. Always good to talk uh, football with you. We'll do it again soon. Thanks. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate you, it. You bet. That's Doug Bouchon from Orange and Blue News. Check them out at illinois.rivals.com. Read his coverage of football. Kedrick Prince is on there as well. Of course, Brad Sturdy covering uh, Illinois basketball for 
Orange and Blue News. 928 WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk will continue in just a moment. We've got the phone lines open, 356-9397. If you'd like to join us, Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly, back after this. It's Illinois women's basketball Monday night at 6 from Bloomington, Indiana. They'll take on the Indiana Hoosiers. Mike Kuhn has the play-by-play from Bloomington Monday night at 6. 931, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk here with you on DWS with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly with you until 11 this morning. The phone line is open, 356-9397 if you'd like to join us. We're going to talk some college basketball now. John Crispin joins us, ESPN basketball analyst on the telephone. Good morning, John. How are you? Happy New Year. Uh, good morning. Happy New Year to you both. Uh, yeah, this is um, this is going to be an interesting year, isn't it? I, I think this is the year where we officially ex- have to accept that there is no such thing as an expert in, in the field of basketball <laughs> uh, because no one's going to be right. Well, that was going to be one of my questions. And I was going to save it till later, but I'll just throw it out off the off the top. What's the best team in the country this year? Who's is Gonzaga? There, is of there course, one? Gonzaga. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say Gonzaga is the most complete team. But at the same time, and I have no problem. I think we, we get into this business as analysts, and we think, and I think part part of this is is part, uh, partly due to, to Twitter, where you're supposed to know everything, and anything you're wrong about, you're a moron. <laughs> well, the truth is, we're going to be wrong constantly and consistently, and and this year more so than ever. Like, I thought earlier this season, Ohio State looked like the best team in the country, hands down. Looked like the best team in the country. They looked like the most complete team in the country. But we've seen them fall. You know, the loss to Minnesota and now lost to Wisconsin. Teams will get beaten this year. And the truth is, this is the, this is the, what, the theme of, the, of college basketball this year. Everyone's pretty good, but no one's really that good. And I'm going to be saying it all year. That is just college basketball to a T right now. Everybody's pretty good. And that's parity, right? That's the parity. That's the parity. That's the depth of teams. It's all the movement we've seen with transfers, where you got some teams that were really struggling last year with a couple transfers. Now, all of a sudden, they're experiencing good. Every team's pretty good, but no one's really that good. There's no Zion Williamson. There's no R.J. Barrett. There's no teams that jump out and say we are that much better than everybody else because we don't have the same vulnerabilities as everybody else. Everybody has their vulnerabilities, but there are a lot of strengths out there, which means it is going to be a crazy, crazy season where anything could happen because anybody can beat anybody and anybody can lose to anyone. And in the big picture, maybe that's all a good thing. Yeah, look, if, if you like basketball, that's the thing. You know, again, we get caught up in what we're supposed to know, and the truth is we don't know that much. Anything that we try to say is fact it is really more, more of an expression of our ignorance than our wisdom <laughs> and our knowledge. Uh, and, and I say that a lot. I mean, I know a lot of my, my counterparts don't like when I say that, but, like, any time we have too strong of a stance on something that's going to happen, we are expressing our ignorance because the truth is there are so many variables at play every night Every day in practice, every night in the games, like there are too many things that we can't predict. And when there's so much talent out there, anything can happen. Uh, and, and I think that's that's where I'm just going to say everybody's good, but no one's really that good. And the truth is, we don't know that much. You know, I I, I keep uh, talking to my friend Paul Klee, who's a Gonzaga graduate, and he tells me how yep. great they are. And I say, I wonder how many how many games they'd lose if they were in the Big Ten, or how many nights they'd go down to the oh. final. Five minutes, not knowing who's going to win, because I, you know, whether you win or lose, these games are just up for up for grabs at, at the end. That Ohio State, Ohio State had that game won all all throughout yesterday, 
and then they lost yep. it. <laughs> it's go ahead. It's the way it's going to be, and and I think that's something that's going to define teams. Like we we get too caught up in who wins and who loses, but ultimately, failure is the greatest teacher. So the teams that are going to fail a little bit throughout the course of the season, find counters, found, find adjustments. Those are going to be the teams. They may not have the best-looking record. They may not have 30 wins on their record. But the team that's like 23-10 and 10 may be that team that could go to the Final Four and win it because they've faced adversity, they've found counters, they've found adjustments, and they've grown into who they're going to become late in the season. So so I, I think we, we might be surprised by who we see in, in the Final Four this year because they may not have the record that we're used to seeing. Uh, what do you think about Illinois so far? Oh, Illinois is going to be an interesting one. I think fans have to be patient because it's such a different look because of one player. And that one player is Kofi Coburn. I don't think there's any surprise that you would adjust your, your game plan and your strategy around this guy. But it's different than what they've done in the past with the pace and the tempo and, and turning teams over. There's a reason why it was a better matchup for Michigan State this time around. Because the team is not playing at that frenetic pace where you're just flying all, all over the place and you're trying to create turnovers. They're doing that, but they're not doing it to the extreme that they have for the past couple of years. So when you look back a couple of years ago, and even last year, Illinois gave Michigan State a run. Illinois controlled Michigan State. They turned them over constantly and consistently because of the way they played. Well, with Kofi Coburn, it's a different approach. So right now, Brad Underwood seems to be trying to find a balance of playing with that tempo and pace, but also maximizing the potential of the group with Kofi Coburn because they're more suited to win consistently in the Big Ten with his size, with that dominance, with that presence. Uh, presence. So, so I think you've got to be patient with the fact that the team is going to have some ups and downs where they're going to lose some games, but at the same time, they're going to win more consistently this year because of the balance that they have. So I, I am a buyer for Illinois. I have been for the last three years, even though it's been inconsistent. I am buying Illinois not only as an NCAA tournament team, but as a team that I think could be a second weekend NCAA tournament team. Wow, wow. <laughs> I don't think many people around here feel that way after the losses to Miami and, and Missouri yeah, and then I the two, two Big Ten losses. But, uh, but John, you were a, a good three-point shooter at Penn State. How do you explain the three for 28 Illinois just did against Michigan State? And I, let's see, what are the 20 out of their last 100 against yeah. the top uh, Power Five teams? 20 for 100. I almost can figure out what percentage that is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. What, 20, what is 20 out of 100? You know, it's not a good one. Let's say that. It is 20% is not solid. But I, I will say this. It's rhythm. Uh, it's all about rhythm. All the, about the, rhythm. the way they got shots last year was different. The way they got shots was more guard-dominated. You played with one big in Georgie Bishanishvili, who was a very active big. He also played around the perimeter. Not that he looked to shoot around the perimeter, but he was active as a screener around the perimeter. So you had more space for drip driving lanes. When you have more space for driving lanes, you get more open, good in-rhythm shots. So those driving kick threes are there. That hasn't been the case this year. They haven't had the open driving lanes because you're starting to play with a guy named Kofi Coburn, who is a dominant presence down low. So they've got to find a way to get those high-percentage in-rhythm threes that they were getting before. And when they got them last year, even two years ago, when they got those shots, they made a higher percentage. They still struggled from three from time to time, but it was because they weren't getting those in-rhythm shot-ready shots. So yes. as they figure it out, and again, like I, I see past the game that's on the surface, and I think this is where a lot of fans get frustrated with things that I say or we may say as analysts. I'm not watching the game on the surface, and the game on the surface is 20 for 100. But what I see is 
they're not getting the shots that they used to get. Once they start to get those shots, they're going to be 35 for 100, then 40 for 100. And when they're 40 for 100 with the presence of Kofi Coburn, they're a top 25 team. So they're not far off based on what I see. But I understand when you're watching the surface, which means the outcome, the statistics, you're frustrated and you're saying, what's going on? Well, there's a lot of good things going on that are going to, to help this team become who they're going to become. What about the extended line? I mean, 15, it's only 15 inches or a little more than that. I don't know what. But uh, it seems to me that uh, it's, it's definitely had a bigger effect than we thought. Yeah, it's funny. I, I'm trying to figure out what it is because it's not the distance. You know, you see the distance with which these guys shoot threes. It's not the distance. Uh, there's a part of me that thinks teams have gotten better because I watch practices, and I, think, and, and I think this is something that fans don't watch. Fans don't go to practice. I watch how the three-point line is defended. They're now defending two shots in basketball, the three-point line and the layup or dunk. That's it. No one defends the mid-range game. No one defends a, a 15- to 18-foot jump shot. They defend the three-point line and layups. So even though the numbers are going down and we're saying, well, you know, it, it looks like uh, three-point line's having something to do with it, I would say that the transition of the game has had something to do with that, meaning defenses are not giving up three-point shots because when you give up 19 threes in a game, you lose. There's no way around it. When you give up 15 threes in a game, there's a good chance you're going to lose that game. So teams are doing a better job defending the three-point line, and I don't think guys have adjusted yet to not taking bad shots. Uh, and, and, and a bad shot is not a, a transition three where you're wide open. A bad shot is a one-pass three where you're just catching and chucking. And I think guys have, have thought that, that that's the way to score, that's the way to get, get shots up, but the problem is they're not in-rhythm shots. You know, you, you can take long threes, but they got to be in-rhythm threes. So I feel like the defense has been much improved in terms of defending the three-point line, and guys are too busy seeking out three-point shots instead of taking the ones that come their way. We're talking uh, basketball with John Crispin from ESPN. The phone line is open, 356-9397. Let's go to the phones. John is calling in, or rather uh, Steve is calling in for John in Princeton, Illinois. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I just got a question for John. I mean, we're in the entertainment business, and with so many basketball games on TV, if a game's not good, you just punch the button and you flip to another game. And that was the case. I watched the Illinois fan. I'm an Illinois fan. I watched the first half, and at 8 o'clock, Oregon and Colorado came on. I flipped over and watched that the rest of the game, and I would get updates on the scroll on the Illinois game. But it was so entertaining to watch Bill uh, Walton and John Pash do the Colorado and uh, Oregon game, which is entertainment. And I think that's what the fans want is entertainment, and they don't care. They're going to flip from channel to channel to find something that's entertaining. Well, and, and isn't that the truth about the, the style of play, too? Because, you know, look, Dave, Dave Pash and Bill Walton are, are some of the most entertaining guys in the world. And I always, I never really liked Walton as much, but I think that was because I was at a point of inferiority in this business. So I, there was always that part of me that said, what is he talking about? What is he doing? But as I grew in this business, I realized he's an entertainer and he's brilliant at it. And Dave Pash is, is brilliant at controlling the show. But with that being said, the team also has to be entertaining. Because when I was at Penn State, teams, people used to say, we used to love watching you guys play, and, and they, they, would, they would rave about a game. And I said, well, we lost by 20. They said, yeah, but it was so much fun to watch. And I was like, you know what? That's an important piece of information that every team should know, that being fun to watch is important. 
being fun to watch gets your fan base to engage. So you got to have a certain identity that people want to adhere to, people want to identify with, people want to say, that's the team that I want to represent, or I want them representing me. But also, you got to go out and be entertaining. I, th- I think that's something that too many missed shots, it's not entertaining. Too many bad shots, not entertaining. Bad defense, poor communication defensively, not entertaining. And that's how you lose a fan base. That's how you lose an audience. So I think, uh, yeah, as, as broadcasters, we have a certain responsibility to keep an audience or get an audience. But ultimately, it comes down to the team on the floor. If they are entertaining to watch, you will not turn it off. Anything else, Steve? No, I just enjoy John. I think he's entertaining. When I get his game, I listen to him because I think he's entertaining. Oh, I appreciate that, man. I really do. It's it's a fun gig. If anybody doesn't have fun doing this, they should just quit right now. <laughs> hey, Steve, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Uh, John, Look to your next game, you. John. Okay, thanks, Steve. I, I'm actually headed to – I'm headed to Louisville on Tuesday. I got Miami at Louisville Tuesday, so I'll be looking forward to that. But, man, I missed the Big Ten. We okay, talk- I'll watch Tuesday night. We talked about you, you playing in the Thanks, uh, in the Big Ten at Penn State, uh, John, part of your career. How good uh, is this edition of the uh, Nittany Lions? They're in the top 25. I think to the best. I think to the best we've ever seen. But the best doesn't always win. I think that's something that we have to remember. Um, we won at a high level because we were a very connected group. We were together. We were dynamic. We were fearless. And the one thing I have a concern with with this group is their inability to execute in the half court. And I think that's something that could be exposed in Big Ten play. When teams start to figure out how physical they are, but when teams start to figure out that they're best when they're getting up and down the floor and taking quick shots, you force them into half-court situations. So, so what will ultimately define this team or the success or failure of this team will be their ability or inability to execute in the half court because talent-wise, this is the best that Penn State has ever had. Lamar Stevens is likely the best player that Penn State's ever had. And I'm sure somewhere out there, back, basically in my backyard, because my brother and I live that close to one another, he's probably over there shaking his head. No, and what are, you, what are you talking about? I was one of the best players. Well, <laughs> the truth is, he'd probably agree. Lamar Stevens, talent-wise, physicality-wise, even upside at the next level, Lamar Stevens probably the best we've ever had at Penn State. So there's, there's a great responsibility with this group, but, but they've got to be able to execute in the half court. The energy's great. The passion's great. Their their, uh, focus on defense and toughness, it's all great. But the Big Ten will expose the one thing that you don't do well. And the one thing they don't do well right now is executing in the half court in late-game situations in particular. So that'll be what defines them. Well, you just, I think, uh, express what might define Illinois, too. Their half court uh, offense at times just seems to, if they can't get the ball into Kofi, uh, it's it's trouble, and you know I, I wanted to ask you. Uh, we brought this. I brought this up earlier. Uh, when this season started, I thought Illinois had three of the best guards in the country. I th- I mean, not three of the best in the country, but a trio that would stack up with 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 trios in the country, and, and with Io yes. and Feliz and and Fraser. And we've got two two of those guys are playing way below par. As is Georgie and and moving to the four. We've got three of our top six or seven players that are playing. Way below par, and I, I, you know, I don't quite understand it. I mean, it, it, because they're experienced guys. Feliz is a senior. Fraser's a junior. All right, I'm going to make it really simple for you, Lauren. You ready? Oh, I'm ready. How many times have you heard? How many times have you heard the term addition by subtraction? Okay, I've right? heard that a lot. Addition yep. by subtraction. This is simply subtraction by addition. 
you add Kofi Coburn, and there's so many things that now change for all the guards around the perimeter. There are so many things that change for Georgie Bishanishvili, not only role and responsibility, but position. It's, it's a completely different position. So for the guards, they don't have the space to work with. They're not playing the same way they were playing the past couple of years. And that is a huge transition for guys that finally started to figure out late season last year. They finally did, and, and, and we all saw it. When they got it down, when those guards were good, they could beat anybody in the country. Well, now it's completely different. You have a dominant big on the floor, which completely changes the dynamic of the group, not just any individual. So to me, I look at this and say it's subtraction of some by addition of one. And that's going to be the biggest challenge. And the challenge is ultimately on Brad Underwood. He's got to figure out a way to maximize the potential, not only of the group, but each individual with what he added to the program this year in a guy in Kofi Coburn who is dominant and who needs to be a key force on that team. But, but, but remember that throughout the season when you see those struggles. Subtraction by addition. The idea is you want to add players yet never take away from, from the, keys that, the key players that you have. So that's going to be a challenge. I, I do. I think, I think Brad Underwood's got a great challenge in trying to do that. When looking at uh, your assignments for ESPN, are you, do you find yourself working a particular conference more than another, or are you getting a, a pretty good, uh, pretty wide look at college basketball? Yeah, you know, in non-conference play, I got a, I got a pretty wide look. You know, I, I had a couple of Big Ten games. I had a Villanova-St. Joe's game, which for me is a Philadelphia guy, a South Jersey guy. Uh, Big Five game was great. Uh, but primarily my main focus is Super Tuesday ACC, and I'll be calling those games with Reese Davis, which should be fun. I mean, he's, he's just he's one of the best. Uh, and then Saturdays I'm in the studio all day, so I'm doing Saturday wraps in Bristol, and that's where I get to see the whole country. You know, that's where I am watching basketball seven days a week, like, like pretty much any fan is, um, but watching it with a different lens. You know, not that rooting lens, but more the try-to-understand-what's-going-on lens. Uh, so I get to see everything, but uh, – I still watch the Big Ten in a different way. I think that's something that people people try to say, oh, you're supposed to be you know, non-biased or unbiased. I said, that's impossible. I'm, not only am I biased slightly towards Penn State in the sense that I, I do want to see them do well, uh, but my bias actually makes them more critical of them. My bias also makes me more critical of the Big Ten because I want to see the Big Ten do well. The Big Ten has always been home for me. You know, I played there. Uh, my brother was there for two years before I got there, so it was almost as if I was there for four years. So the Big Ten's always been home. The Big Ten schools have always been my, my, my extended family, even though we played against one another. So there's, a, there's an interesting rooting interest for the Big Ten that I'll always have uh, that I'm sure will come out at times on, on air. Uh, but I will be doing a lot of ACC this year. And the more you get to know – it's like anything. The more you get to know somebody, teams, players, the more you really like them. So I'm sure by the end of the season, I'll have a, a better a better understanding and, and much more appreciation for the ACC. But nothing like family, right? Nothing mm-hmm. like home, and that's the Big Ten for me. Got time for one more call? Let's go to Ryan in St. Louis. Go ahead, Ryan. Hi, uh, John. Thank you for uh, doing your calls on the air. I think you're one of the best in the business. I'm, it's, uh, I'm glad I get thank to ask you your questions. Um, after my question, first of all, I want to believe I'm not a typical person who calls up and whines and complains and talks about how bad things are. But I do have a question, though. You know, after watching Brad Underwood not have his team ready to play against Miami, he got outcoached by Conzo Martin in the Mizzou game. We were not up to par last night. Do you believe that Brad Underwood can consistently win and get to a tournament and be somebody who stays at Illinois 
long term because the thing about the adjustments that you're talking about is that if by chance we lose Io DeSumo this year and somebody else leaves, we add Andre Carvello next year and hopefully Adam Miller, and mm-hmm. then we're back to be patient. These guys got to learn the offense. It's be patient. Illinois fans have heard that for the last 10 years, regardless of who the coach is. What is it about Brad Underwood you believe is where he can be successful long term here? Uh, well, first I'm going to start with one of the, the issues I had, and this isn't like an issue with Brad Underwood, but my issue is with getting Kofi Coburn. I think, I think coaches want to get players that are statement players where you say, look at this guy that we got. But the question is, does he fit who they are and what they want to do? And I would say that was my biggest question for Brad Underwood coming into this season. The more I saw Kofi play, the dynamic of the team changed. So ultimately, the question I have, which is similar to yours, is can he coach this type of team? Because the team I saw late last year where they they were starting to fly around, they got comfortable playing at a frenetic pace, that was who I thought this team needed to be for them to be successful, for them to be a successful Brad Underwood team. So my question for Brad Underwood is can you coach a different dynamic of a team, a team that has more of a traditional big with fly-around guards? Uh, he needs to answer that question before I really make a statement about whether he's the guy or not. Uh, because I think I saw a team last year that he could coach, and it was a team that he brought in and said, this is that's the way we want to play, and he recruited to a certain style, not to a certain you know number of, uh, of stars or, or uh, he's a top 50 kid in ESPN. Kofi Coburn was the guy that they got that you, know, you didn't expect to get. So you had to take him, even though he, he's, he brings a different dynamic to the team. So I'd say wait midseason to see how this team responds to having such a different presence with Kofi Coburn. And if Brad Underwood can adjust to the team now with Kofi Coburn, I absolutely trust him to be able to make adjustments on the fly because I think part of establishing an identity is not like being patient with players as they get in. It's having those players understand what's expected of them before they even get there. And you can't do that in year one or two. You have to have an identity that players, as you're recruiting them, they know what they're coming into. And, and that's, what, that's what allows you as fans to not have to be as patient anymore because the freshman that comes in understands what's expected, understand what he's, he's actually coming there to do. So I think that's why the first couple of years you really didn't see it, but late last season you started to see it come together. But when I say be patient, I, I'm not saying wait years. I'm saying midseason you should have an idea – of whether this team can play together or not with Kofi Coburn on the floor, because I think he's the biggest challenge. Remember I said it, subtraction by addition. It can't be subtraction by addition. You've got to maximize the potential of each individual and ultimately maximize the potential. And that'll ultimately be what defines Brad Underwood this year. So be patient with it, but not that patient, because it is something there, there's too much potential in this group for them to not, you know, not, I want to say hit a home run, but, but not get themselves in position to be a second weekend NCAA tournament team because I think they have the potential to do so. Anything else, Ryan? I was going to say with, with what your statement is, with, is he's, it's, it's as if, though, he has entirely changed his offense based upon one player. So in some ways, he is staking his future at Illinois, per se, his success in the tournament on <laughs> changing a half-court offense because the flying around thing with turnovers and stuff was last year, and then you added Adam Miller and a Carvello next year with speed, shooting, yep. a true point guard, and then are we just now we're in more of a half-court set because we're not running as much, and I feel like he's, in a way, he's staking the future success of Illinois on a big because he's changing Well, sometimes the, way to, yeah, but sometimes the way to find balance is to go to one extreme and then the other, and then you find the middle ground, right? So yeah. the, the extreme that they were was that flying around, and at times they hurt themselves. 
So now yeah. they're going to this other side, which is let's see if we can win in the half court because truth be told, that's what gets you to win in the Big Ten. You win in the Big Ten by being able to execute in the half court. So if he can find the balance, I mean, that's ultimately what it is. He's gone to another side of things where you go, all right, we got a dominant big. Let's slow it down in the half court. Let's try to let's work the ball side to side just to feed the post. Well, if he can find the balance, that'll be what makes this team a legitimate NCAA tournament threat. And when I say threat, I mean a team that can beat anybody at any different style. Because right now they're going the other way. Now they got to find just, that middle ground. Once they find the middle ground, I think they'll be good. I want Brad Underwood to be successful. I want the whole thing to work. I'm not someone who's like gambling for him to lose. I want us to go to the tournament this year. It's just a, a lot of you know technical questions. I think obviously a lot of people have right now that are legit. So um, thanks for taking my call. Go on. Absolutely. My pleasure, man. Enjoy it. Yeah, Ryan, thanks for the call. John uh, Crispin, you've been very generous with your time. We, uh, we appreciate it. Enjoy talking basketball with you. We'd like to do it again a month or so down the road, if that's okay. Absolutely. Yeah, look, if there's one thing I enjoy doing, it's talking. If there's one thing I enjoy doing more than talking, it's talking about hoops. <laughs> so, so thank you for the time. Well, yep. you, le- you left me with one comment I'm not going to forget. Your bias makes you more critical. I like that line. Yes. It applies to more yes. than you, John. Yes. <laughs> no, nope. and, and you know what? Think, think about that with parents. Yeah. You know, yep. parents are yep. the same way. I and mean, I think we, we, we forget that as we become fans and we automatically get emotionally engaged. Well, because I am biased towards the Big Ten and, the Big, and, and Penn State in particular, I will always be more critical of them because of my wanting interest in them. So I think that's something that's uh, it's just it's human. Yep. It's more, more human than anything else. Makes sense to me. <laughs> and if you can, right, if, that's you, right. if you could get Lauren Tate to say something, that makes sense. <laughs> and then you, you've uh, you spent some good time on the air here. Well, you, you just I'm doing all right. You just expressed my life in front of me here up with that sentence. <laughs> that's great. Hey, John, that's thanks great. again. I'm, I'm glad I did something. Yeah, okay. we we appreciate guys. it. We'll have talk have to you soon. Weekend. You thanks, bet. John. John Crispin from ESPN with us, basketball analyst for ESPN, as we. Head towards the uh, top of the hour here on the Line Pella Saturday Sports Talk. First hour almost in the books. Phone line uh, remains open if you have any Illinois basketball comments, any Illinois football comments, anything else. The NFL playoffs get going. Some wild card uh, games going. Wild card weekend. Nine former Illini playing in wild card games this yeah. weekend. So yeah. plenty of things to watch there. A lot of guys out there playing on Sundays and Saturdays in this case as the playoffs get going. So that'll be fun to watch as well. We'll take a break here as we move towards the top of the hour, WDWS Champaign-Urbana. We'll talk some more Illinois football, college football. Nathan Shieldhouse, the Illini Offensive Player of the Decade, former quarterback, will join us as we begin the second hour of uh, the show. Stay with us. Back with more after this. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It is 10.01. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11 o'clock. In that first hour, we talk some Illinois football with Doug Bouchon from Orange and Blue News, Rivals.com. We also talk Big Ten basketball with John Crispin and college basketball. John Crispin from ESPN. 
We'll go back to a football conversation now, kicking off hour number two. The phone line is open, by the way, 356-9397. Happy to welcome on the phone Nathan Shieldhouse, former Illini quarterback, now assistant coach at Iowa State. Nathan, good morning. How are you? Good to talk to you. Hey, good morning. Good to talk to you guys as well. Thanks for having me on. You were always one of those guys. The quarterback position had something to do with it, and uh, your personality had a lot to do with it, but you were a guy that uh, we enjoyed talking to a lot during your career, and we were happy to to hear that you made the all-decade team and uh, actually were named the offensive player of the decade at the University of Illinois. Did you know that that, uh, that tabulation was underway? Were you surprised at all by that? Yeah, I was surprised by it. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I didn't even realize, you know, as the close of a decade comes, you know, the different teams and different reflections that, that I guess would go on. Um, but, but, shoot, it was an honor. And I feel like there was a, a lot of good guys that I got a chance to play with that kind of allowed for that to happen. But, um, yeah, was was surprised and, and I guess um, grateful all in the same breath. Speaking of reflections, you've had a little bit of time uh, since you've left Champaign-Urbana to to think about your years here. What comes to mind when you do that? Yeah, I think um, you know. I think of like even when when they, they they called and said that man, you were named player of the the, the decade on offense. Uh, really, I, I did. I, I thought about all the really good players that I played with. You know, the AJ Jenkins. Uh, Michael Lashores, um, the really good offensive linemen that, that were in front of me. And, you know, you, you think about, obviously, um, those players, and you think about the games you won. And, and honestly, as the competitor, you think about the games that you lost and that you felt like you came up short and and, and games that you should have done better and, and even seasons that you should have done better um, because there were some really good players and, and honestly felt like we, we should have capitalized a little bit more in some of those um, some of those games and seasons. A lot of fans were kind of spoiled at the beginning of the, that uh, previous decade because Illinois had uh, Juice Williams for four years, Nathan Shieldhouse for four years, back-to-back, and not many questions about uh, who's going to play quarterback. And uh, that kind of stability would be nice to have in the future, but uh, that was uh, something that uh, enabled those teams to do what they did. For sure. It helps to have stability at the quarterback position. I mean, that, that goes with any team, um, you know, from, from college football to to NFL football and and if you look at the success of teams you know even in in college football right now uh there usually is consistency at the quarterback spot so it it helps whenever you've got a guy that you can um give a lot of responsibility to early and you can kind of build them and mold them um you know they're usually going to become a better player by their junior and senior year and, and that's obviously what you had with juice and and that's what I had a chance to do you know after juice and and it was a good opportunity so I think it's important, shoot, it's important, and it helps anytime you have um, a good feel of who that quarterback's going to be week in and week out. Nathan, uh, for every Nate Stanley like I was a four-year or a four-year player like you were, it seems like there's an awful lot of guys that are moving, quarterbacks that are moving. If they're not the starter as a freshman or sophomore, they're gone, and we see just tons of them in the uh, – in the uh, portal. In fact, uh, another year here. Here we go with an, another bunch of guys going to the portal. What's your reaction to that change in the in the way things are done? Well, yeah, the quarterback position is unique. You know, only only one guy runs out there. Um, you know, to, to to take the snap under center, and you know, it's different than the receiver position when 
you know, you might have two guys out there. You might have three guys out there. There's guys that are rotating in and out. It's usually not how it works at, at the quarterback spot. And, and, and honestly, probably not how it's supposed to work. I, I've never been a huge fan of, of, you know, rotating quarterbacks just because I feel like you gotta, you gotta have a guy and you gotta stick with him and, um, you gotta learn, you gotta have him learn throughout the game. So, um, you know, it's just kind of the nature of the beast. I think even when I was uh, playing quarterback at Illinois, there were a couple guys that transferred, um, you know, a guy that was older than me, a guy that was younger than me that, you know, when they weren't the starter that they felt like they wanted to go and um, give themselves a chance to play somewhere else. So um, it, it is part of it. I think it's probably more public and, and more obvious now just with, you know, the portal and, you know, even with media and stuff that, you know, you hear about that. Um, but at the same time, it works out for a lot of guys as well. I mean, you look at the college football playoff and, you know, those guys, uh, there, there was a bunch of those guys. You know, Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma was a transfer guy. Um, you know, the Ohio State quarterback, Justin Fields, was a guy that transferred. So um, Joe, Joe Burrow, uh, obviously in the national championship, is a guy that transferred. So um, it, it, there are situations where it does help help guys play and it helps guys get their opportunity if they feel like, they're deserving of one. What's your recollection of the game? Your fre- this would have been your redshirt freshman year, I believe, against Baylor in the uh, in the game in in uh, Texas. What was your, I, I just remember you having an outstanding game. Illinois won that one, thirty-eight to fourteen. I think there was a a rival quarterback who wasn't bad in that game either. <laughs> Tell me about that. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember them being a really talented team, and um, you know, I remember. Um, you know, more specifically than the game, I remember us having really, really good practices going into the game. And, you know, we had 15 bowl practices, and I think we took advantage of every opportunity um, that, that that we had in that. And, and shoot, we, we grew a lot in those 15 practices and felt really confident going into that game. And, um, you know, I remember somebody telling me that after the game that, shoot, you started off, I think it was like 11 for 11 or, or something like that, that, you know, connected on my first 10 passes or something. And, and you know, I, I didn't even think about it throughout the course of the game, um, but I just felt like it, it made sense, I guess, reflecting after because, you know, we, we did. We, we, we strained a lot in the weeks leading up to that game um, to be really efficient in our practice and, and, and really on it as far as the plays that we were calling and, and, and how we were going about them and, and the reads and, everybody being in the right place at the right time. And obviously it showed up to be true. Um, but overall, I think that the difference in that game wasn't necessarily even even that. It was more we were the tougher team on that, that Saturday. And, and the good news about football is, is usually the tougher team has a chance to win regardless of the talent and, and whoever the other team has. Um, if you can go out there and be the tougher team, you're, you're always going to have a chance to win. And we had – Shoot, we had a tough offensive line. We had a running back that we could hand the ball to, and, and he was going to break tackles and get yards. And we had a bunch of guys on the defensive front um, that were going to make things really difficult, regardless of, of how talented a quarterback was. And, and shoot, those guys did it on, on Robert Griffin that, that day. He, you know, he had to deal with, you know, Corey Legit and Akeem Spence and Michael Buchanan and Whitney Mercer and guys that, you know, were, were tough to deal with on the defensive front. And a year later, um, what do you recall about that game, the UCLA? That was their last, Illinois' last bowl win in the 2011 season. It's the last time Illinois won a game, beat UCLA 20-14 to with Vic Koning uh, stepping in for uh, Ron Zook. Yeah, it was Vic. You know, it's funny, this year actually Vic is back. 
um, the defensive coordinator at West Virginia. So I had to match up against him this year um, when we played West Virginia. So it was good seeing Vic again. But, yeah, it was interesting circumstances, obviously, with two interim head coaches on either side. Um, you know, we had just come off of losing six straight games uh, in the Big Ten and in a tough end to the season, obviously. So, um, you know, th- th- it-, it was honestly a sense of relief winning that game. And, it, it was a season that, you know, at one time felt so promising and, and obviously at the end was so disappointing that at least it ended on a good note. Um, there was a lot of uh, really good players on that team, um, a lot of really good seniors who deserved to go out the right way, and, and it was great uh, being able to do so and being able to send them out the right the right way. Um, you know, obviously we knew that change was coming and, and we had already hired a new head coach and, you know, we at least wanted to finish out, you know, that era um, on a positive note and felt like we did. Visiting with uh, Nathan Shieldhouse, get us up to date on your coaching career. You've coached a couple of uh, different positions now. You were running backs coach uh, last year, I believe. Now you're with uh, the receivers, correct? That's exactly right. Yep, coached receivers this last year at Iowa State and, and was working with the running backs the year before. Um, yeah, I've got a chance to coach some. Uh, some really good good players in the last couple of years. Shoot, you guys obviously have got to experience David Montgomery, and you know got a chance to coach him a year ago, which was which was really fun. And we had a good group um, at receiver this year. Uh, shoot, we got a, a young sophomore quarterback here who who distributes the ball just to about anybody who gets open. So it's, it's been fun to um, coach guys uh, around him and stuff. And um, shoot, we've had a lot of fun. You know, just being here at Iowa State and, and being in the Big 12 Conference and, um, shoot, having, having a team that has been able to compete week in and week out. What was the difference? Uh, do you find much of a difference in changing positions as a coach? Uh, you played quarterback, obviously. You coached running backs and receivers now. Does that, uh, I would think, uh, as your uh, coaching career progresses, that uh, experience would help you down the road? Oh yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoy getting to learn the the, the nuances of each position. Um, you know, you, you felt like at quarterback you had to have a general understanding of what everybody was doing, uh, what the running backs were doing, what the receivers, tight ends, you know, even offensive line and and, and understanding run schemes. Um, you had to do that as, as a quarterback, but you do feel like when you when you have the chance to coach a position, um, there there are little things that you have to know. Uh, you know, I, I knew. As a quarterback, man, I got a pressed-up receiver, and he's got a one-on-one opportunity. He's got to go in, and I can throw the ball down the field to him. But you know, when you're actually coaching the receivers, there's, there's, um, you know, how do you beat press coverage, and and what is the technique, and what is the, um, you know, the best way to go and win on a route, and and how do you release? Do you take an inside stem? Do you take an outside stem? I feel like those are the things that that you know I had to I had to press myself to learn, and and it's been fun to learn because you feel like. You know, you do, you gain more knowledge of the game, um, you know, but, but it has been fun to learn two, I guess, different positions and, and not only them from a surface level, um, which is probably what I had before coaching them, but, but really getting, um, getting down to the nitty gritty of what it takes to be really good at those positions. Do you want to be a head coach someday? Yeah, I would love to be. Uh, I get to work for a really good one right now, and so it's been fun to see you know, how he is and, and um, just even how he, um, you know, coaches the program and, and, and all the different responsibilities that he has. And um, like I said, uh, working for Matt Campbell has been really, really good. I think it, it probably inspires a lot of people around him 
um, to want to go and, and, and make an impact and, and be able to put your influence on a program like he's done. So I think that's something I would love to do. Um, but I really love what I'm doing right now, um, you know, just because of the people that I work with, the people that I get to work for on a daily basis. Uh, it, it makes it uh, really fun to come into work every day. You're busy on Saturdays, obviously, but how closely do you follow Illinois' program? Yeah, I think uh, obviously any alum is going to check, you know, after, um, you know, after a Saturday ends and see what happens with, with the school that shoot that they played for. Um, so, so yeah, I do follow. And there's still a lot of guys on that, on that team that um, were guys that, that I knew a few years back and shoot, you're seeing them grow up and get older. You know, you're seeing a guy like Dre Brown that you remember coming in and, and you're excited to see, you know, his stat line each week and, a guy like Nate Hobbs, I feel like I was involved with shoot with his recruitment when he was coming in. And remember, just like it was yesterday, him coming in as a freshman and feeling like he was a guy that was going to be really, really talented, and and obviously that's shown to be true. So I still do get a chance to follow, um, you know, follow Illinois sports in, in in general now. Let's go back over your season a little bit. I, I thought you came within a point of Iowa, lost to Iowa eighteen seventeen, lost to Baylor twenty three twenty one, lost to Oklahoma. 42 to 41, and still had seven wins uh, before the Notre Dame game, which they won 33 to nine. What's your uh, reflection on the season now as you look at it? You know, I think uh, what we learned this year was the difference between uh, good to great. Uh, it, it may come down to a couple points, but but those margins are, um, you know, they're, they're really really tough, and you've got to be really really locked into the details and the disciplines that it takes to be a great team, um, you know, week in and week out. And that, you know, games like Iowa, games like Baylor, games like Oklahoma, we had a ton of games that, that we lost by, um, you know, just a few points. Uh, and, and we realized that, you know, just being a team that, um, that plays hard uh, doesn't necessarily uh, mean that you're going to go out there and win uh, every week, that it's going to take some, some detail and, two or three plays that could change uh, the outcome of a game and the outcome of a season. Uh, like you said, you, you felt like you were that close to being a 10-win team, but you're also, you know, we had a few games that we won that we were that close from missing bowl eligibility. So um, that's how college football works, and, and I think that we're a program that's, that's gone from being, um, you know, not very good uh, to being a good team, and, and we're trying to get over that hump of, of now getting ourselves into that next category of being great. And I think we've got a lot of guys that, um, that have strained and, and work really, really hard to, to uh, get themselves ready for Saturday. But, you know, even on Saturday, it's going to take some precision and some critical moments that you're going to have to capitalize on. And if you don't, when you play against, when you play against good teams, um, you know, if you don't capitalize on it, you're going to come up, you know, a couple points short. And, and, and I think we learned a lot about that uh, this season. I'll be excited to see even what our team is next season. Um, when you face losses like that, uh, you almost feel like you're, you got a team that comes back even more hungry and, and even more focused on not letting, you know, that one or two plays sway to the, to the opposing team and, and going and taking advantage of it the next time they have an opportunity. Hey, Nathan, good to catch up with you. Appreciate uh, your time this morning and continued success. And congratulations once again on being uh, the uh, offensive player of the decade at uh, the University of Illinois. Thanks. By the way, uh, I appreciate you guys. Uh, Whitney Merciless was a defensive player of the decade, so you're opposite a pretty good one there. 
Yeah, uh, you know, and, and obviously it's shown to be, I think, you know, he's still playing every Sunday. <laughs> That's right. He's still a, a force to be reckoned with. So, um, you know, I, I said this to somebody else, but your, your hope is that the next decade, you know, whoever those players of the decade, that they, you know, not only have an impact, even like Whitney has had in the NFL, but, but that their impact is felt with, with a, a, a bunch of big-time seasons and um, Big Ten championships and bowl wins across the way. So, um, you know, uh, I, I think everybody is, is, is hoping for this next decade to be a big one, and I think it could be. That's Nathan Shieldhouse. Thanks again. Thank you. It is 10-17 on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Phone line is open. We'll keep it open. We'll take a break and be back with more. Love to hear from you. Want to talk Illinois football or basketball? Give us a call back after this. Join us on Monday night at 7 o'clock on our sister station, Light Rock 97.5, for the Brad Underwood Show, live from Papadell's Pizza Factory, Monday night at 7. We have Illinois women's basketball on DWS Monday night at 6, following Monday night sports talk at the Esquire, the Illinois women on the road at Indiana for a game on Monday night. Mike Coon on the play-by-play on that. 10:20 is the time. Illini Palace Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11. Going to talk some Illinois golf at the bottom of the hour. Mike Small, who is out watching junior players play golf down in Florida, will join us to talk about uh, his program and uh, what a decade it was for Illinois golf. That conversation coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. Give us a call if you'd like. 356-9397 is the number. Had an email talking about the playing together and separately of Kofi Coburn and Georgie Bashanasvili in the lineup. Some people feel that playing them together very long has not uh, been working very well. The question is, what's the fine line there? How do you, what adjustments do you make? What thoughts do you have on that, Lauren? There's always a question. That was always my question yes. going into the season, expressed many times without any uh, understanding of how it would uh, turn out, as how, what does it do to, I mean, you have to, ha- you have to play Kofi, okay? Let's just agree with that. He has to be the center. Are you better off with Griffin in at that position, or are you better off with Georgie? I, don't, I think uh, Griffin's a better rebounder than Georgie myself. I, uh, Griffin's a terrific rebounder for his size. Uh, he doesn't give you the height, uh, but... Uh, Nevertheless, uh, he could play the four, and uh, I, I think that um, it has really diminished uh, the game of Georgie. It's really diminished his his performance because um, he he's only, we saw just the other night against Michigan State in those few moments when he was in the game when Kofi was out and how effective he is on the block because he can go right or left, and I certainly prefer that he go uh, shoot with his left hand, but he likes to shoot with his right too. And he's very hard to guard in there with his back to the basket. But you can't have two guys down there. And as soon as you move him to the high post, you diminish his ability. Because he's not a good outside shooter. Now, I know he's made some threes this year. But ultimately, all that does is encourage him to shoot more. And that's not going to work, as we saw against in the last two games. This last game, I think it was 0 for 3 or 0 for 4 from the 3 against Michigan State. The previous game, he had no points at all. So... I don't know what's going through his mind. In the previous game to that, he had six turnovers against Missouri. So I don't know what's going through his mind, but I'm just wondering, uh, how do you make this work? If you take him out of the starting lineup and say you put put, uh, Griffin in there in the starting lineup and bring Georgie off the bench to spell Kofi, Mm -hmm. 
How many yeah. minutes a game? I think you depending on you fouls. Know, you were right, but we were talking. To, you need a guy like Kofi in there for twenty five minutes. Don't yeah, you? absolutely. Yeah, and it means that uh, that he would play a lot less. Yeah, but I mean he's not. But he might be more effective playing a little bit less. Well, in those mo- in those moments when he's filling in, I think he would yeah. be more. He'd be more himself. Yes. Now the other question is, what do you do with Felix? Felice. Andres Felice is a good guard. He was a top junior college guard. At the end of the season last night, he was as good a guard as Illinois had on the court. What has happened there? We've got to get him back playing. And I think the, thing, the way to do it is to put him in the game and leave him in the game. I just, I just don't know if there's any advantage. I know that uh, Underwood really loves to play uh, Demonte, yep. but – I just don't see where he's that productive. Uh, I know he's a good defensive player and a good rebounder. He's very good at those. But if if you have a if you have a player that you don't have to guard, and he, he, you know he's, he's just like Georgie, he finds himself open on the perimeter. Well, there's a reason because <laughs> the coach said don't guard him on the perimeter. Let him shoot. He can't make it, so you know why should we worry about him? And and I I just think that I that's I. I don't see this idea of uh, running players in and out, substituting uh, constantly. I don't see how that helps the offense. I I just like to see the five players that that I just mentioned, uh, and that's that's uh, that that would include uh, Griff, and that would include Felice, and uh, of course Io, and and Kofi, and Frazier, and Frazier. I think that's that's the lineup, and I'd go with it, and go with it, and go with it, and. if your second team is as good as your first team, your first team's not very good. Ten twenty-five phone line open three five six nine three nine seven. Let's go to the phones. Al in Fisher, go ahead, Al. Yeah, good morning, guys. Um, yeah, just talking, listening to Nathan Shieldhouse just makes me want to believe that he should be on the Illinois sideline. I think that's just a travesty for for him to be at Iowa State, any place else other than Illinois. And those are the types of guys that we need. You know, because there is a certain passion for guys that have played at the school. Would you agree with that, Lauren, Steve? Well, we, I think we both agree that uh, we'd like to see Shieldhouse on the staff, yeah. Right. Yes, and, and, and I agree with the passion part. Yeah, I, I think I think that's important. Yeah. Like and and everybody's talking about the next, year, next year's schedule. Well, I looked at next year's schedule, and I, I don't see a big advantage uh, next year other than the fact that we play – uh, three, well, so-called easy games. I think Illinois State will come in here and, and play their butt off. And the first Big Ten game at Rutgers with Shiano now the coach probably is not going to be as easy as we think it's going to be. And you got the Buckeyes, you got the Hoosiers, and uh, I, I don't know what. What's your thoughts on the schedule, Lauren? First half of the schedule is, I think, as easy as it's ever going to be, because Bowling Green and, and UConn's got twenty some guys in the in the. <laughs> In the portal already. I mean, they're not even going to field a team hardly. And that, that's an exaggeration, of course. But we had our problems with the UConn this year, but beat them handily in the end. But I think that Illinois will, be, will beat Illinois State and, and UConn and Bowling Green and be 3-0. and And, again, I think, I think that uh, Illinois should be able, with the experience they have on offense, they should be able to beat Rutgers and be 4-0. Now, that's, that's a good start. I mean, I, I see them being 4-0. I, if they're not 4-0 – we got real problems, <laughs> like right. big time problems. 
But if they are four and zero and got some momentum going into the Nebraskas and and the and the Purdue's and those games in the midseason, that they've got a chance. And the end of the season is going to be very difficult because beating Iowa and Wisconsin is just not likely, and and Minnesota is not likely, and and Ohio State is impossible. Right, and then you got to go to Northwestern, which is impossible. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, we need to bring a psychologist in about the week before right. that game. I don't have any practices. Just have them go to to a, 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 a big room and sit down and have the psychologists get in their heads and make them yeah, understand I, that those people want to beat us up there. Right. And then one other comment. Uh, I think offensively next year they should be really good. I was hoping Barry Brown would come back for year six, but I understand his age is against him and stuff. But they got a chance to be real good offensively. I, I'm still worried about Lovey's defense. I'm sorry. I just can't. I can't buy into the cover two stuff and – Team just march up and down the field. We're going to have to score 40 game to, to win games, I think. And uh, But the well, year right. after that is when I'm worried. That's yeah. right. It'll, it'll, so, when you get to the middle of the season and assume we, we play Purdue on a sunny field, you know, when not in the middle of rain, I mean, it's going to take 40 points to win if, if they don't improve their defense. Right. And Rondell Moore will be back and the quarterback will be back. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about the long future, guys. Uh, I'd sure like to have Matt Campbell and Nathan Shieldhouse over here. I know that. So thanks for thanks for taking my call, guys. Yep. Thank you, Al. Appreciate it's, it. It's interesting that Shieldhouse played for Beckman because he's now playing for Campbell. Both or came coaching, from Toledo. Coaching yeah. for Campbell. And yeah. people will tell you that Campbell was the reason they had success at Toledo. Mm-hmm. He was the offensive coordinator. Right. I mean, that's, that's maybe somebody – has a prejudiced feeling in saying that, but there's also maybe some truth to it because Campbell's still coaching, Yeah, right? <laughs> He's one of the hot names in coaching right now, too. Let's go back to the phones. Marty checking in from Pinehurst. Hey, Marty. Morning, Steve. Morning, Lauren. Morning. Yeah, I, I can add to your last comment there, Lauren. I knew a kid who was a student volunteer coach at Toledo because I used to live up in that area. And when they hired Beckman, his thing he said to me was, Beckman's not really the coach of that team. It's Campbell that you want. He said, that team doesn't win games except for that offense. So, yeah, and that's not prejudice. That that was before he even got to Illinois. I was told that. Um, I hate it when you're you're so right, Lauren. What was I right about? <laughs> well, you were, you were right before the season, your question on Georgie. And uh, when you talk about you give up size, how tall was uh, how tall was uh, Roger Powell? How tall was Battle? He played the four. Yeah, they, they weren't six, nine, or ten, and they played pretty good at the four. No, I think quickness uh, I like, and leaping ability and, the, and an instinctive uh, when you got an instinctive rebounder, rebounder. and Griffin, and Griffin is, is an instinctive rebounder. He really is. He, uh, yeah. I, and he may not be good enough to win games at the Big Ten. I don't know with that, but I I know that he's uh, he does things that uh, the other guys can't do. But he just has a he has a, nat- a, a natural inclination for it. Yes. Also, I'll I'll tell you, uh, Underwood is uh, John Christian was right. It's subtraction by addition, and th- they've got to work with how to play with the big. I understand all that. You're right about Feliz also needing to be in the line. I like DeMonte Williams, but I'd rather have him coming off the bench if you needed defense for a short time period to stop somebody that was hot. Um, the other the other thing that you noted 
and I, which is a problem for Brad Underwood, and I can tell you why it is. I know you like playing a certain number of guys as a tighter rotation, and generally I would agree with that with this caveat. Underwood system has been a frenetic one. The Huggins, the West Virginia, the overplay defense, play eight or ten guys and wear people down. But if you're going to bring in a Kofi and not play that frenetic type of defense, you don't need eight or ten guys to play all the time. And uh, they can find a way to play play fewer people and use Georgie to sub for Kofi and then maybe play them together five minutes a game or something like that to get enough time for people. But they'll adjust and they'll figure it out. Or if you don't figure it out, changes will get made down the road. It's the old story. But it worries me that an old guy like you is so smart. How is that happening? Well, I think you're probably getting senile in your old age. That's all I can tell you. I, I have been <laughs> accused of that. You know, I've been accused of that by my daughters many times. <laughs> Hey oh, Marty, uh, you guys are doing, you guys are doing a great job. Keep thanks, it up. Marty. And figure out what the Cardinals are going to do there in left field, would you please? We're gonna we're gonna get the same guy back. Might well, be. That's what they say. They say it's down to three teams: the Cardinals and the Rangers and the Reds for Ozuna. I hope he doesn't go to the Reds. The Reds got enough new players. They're going to be a problem. I know. Can you imagine how many homers he'd hit in that ballpark? Yeah, he'd hit a few. Yeah, he would. He might right, be just ready to have day, a good Steve. season, too. You never know. Yep. Marty, appreciate your call. Yeah. Thanks, as always. All right. 1033 WDWS Champaign-Urbana. Lanai Saturday Sports Talk rolling on to 11. Back with more after this. Moving up on 1035. Lanai Pella Saturday Sports Talk <laughs> with Lord Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. And the phone line is open, 356 what's, what's said here in commercials stays here. That's right. <laughs> That's like the Vegas thing. What uh, happens in Vegas stays. What's said behind the scenes will stay behind the scenes. It's 33 degrees with a wind chill of 22 right now on this Saturday morning. Let's bring in our friend Mike Small, who I'm guessing is in a better climate. How you doing, Smalley? <laughs> Good morning, guys. I'm doing great. Thanks. You're watching uh, some uh, young players play golf, and uh, the recruiting game never ends for you guys. But uh, the reason I wanted to have you on is uh, we always enjoy having you on, but uh, a lot of all-decade teams and such being announced uh, recently by a lot of places across the country, including the University of Illinois. And I got to thinking about the uh, last decade as far as Illinois golf is concerned, and and it just blows my mind. I lived through it all and followed it very closely. But some of the things that your program did this past decade is unbelievable. I thought it was time to talk about it. 52 uh, tourney team titles, 43 individual tournament team titles, 10 Big Ten individual champions, nine Big Ten team championships. Uh, the list goes on. I was, my one question was going to be, if you had to pick a starting lineup of <laughs> five guys you put out there that played in the decade, how would that go for oh, you? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, thanks for thinking of it, and thanks for noticing that. And we, We've had a really good fan following for a, for a collegiate golf program, and we're very thankful for that. And, and people have sent notes, and they've, they've kind of put two and two together for the last decade, too. It's amazing how fast it goes. And, and uh, yeah, I've had some great players. People ask what the secret is, and I think, I think you know, I think the culture, the University of Illinois breeds a great place to, or it's a great place to breed a, a good, positive culture that uh, you know the people can be successful. But um, you know, it's just it, I just I just have good players. I have good players that uh, that are good students, they're good people, 
And uh, when you talk about that, that, that starting team, um, yeah, we got seven or eight guys. That, I think there's ten now that are playing for a living, and there's there's four or five or six of them that have made a pretty good living in the last ten years playing professional golf. So I'm proud of all of them, even the ones that haven't gone on to play professional golf because they've left a legacy at Illinois, at Illinois which is probably tough for these young kids to follow. Um, I think it adds maybe some stress and tension to the younger guys trying to keep up with them, but that's a positive thing for a program, and I think that's what all programs want to develop and grow. The only downside for me as a, as a golf fan is we don't get a chance to see you guys play that much until it gets to postseason. We can see you on television. The, the old days of the, uh, the duel or tri-meets uh, just don't happen anymore, do they? You don't play any home matches. Yeah, that's just the nature of the beast in college golf. You know, there's there's no matches anymore. There's big tournaments, I think 12 and 15 team tournaments, and you know not everybody can host those. And you got to pick your poison when you want to host them. And and um, uh, I'd say of the 300 schools that have the, the you know men's golf programs, I would venture to say less than 100 of them probably probably 70 maybe host tournaments. So you're looking at 225 schools that never play at home, and um, that's just that's the unfortunate way it's it's set up. But to, to accumulate wins and losses and to accumulate head-to-head uh, matches with all the, you know, with, with the way school time you can't be, you know, can't be missed. And um, it's better to get those 14 head-to-heads at a 15-team tournament than it is to go play matches one-on-one. Well, Mike, um, whether it's Krzyzewski who at Duke or Saban at Alabama, there's always a turning point for these guys at the very beginning that got it headed in that direction and, and they're able to keep it on top. What was the turning, as you look back, now maybe you have to look back before before this decade, but what was the turning point for you or the things that happened that set this thing on and, and were able, uh, you were able to establish the right culture? Well, that's a good question, Lauren. I tell you, when I first got here, it's been it'll be 20 years in April that I've been here. It's amazing if you think about that. But uh, we had some really good uh, – the first year was tough, and then the next two or three, four years was really good. We got to the top 20 in the country. We – uh, where the young team came out of nowhere, my second year coaching, and guys bought in, and then then we had a little lull uh, for about two years there, two and a half years. We had a we had one of our better players transfer back to his hometown for uh, or his home area for the homesickness and kind of set us back a little bit. And guys got out of their uh, comfort zone and in, in, in the roles on the team, and and we kind of took a little downward turn. And 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 I think in 0708 when we were kind of come out of that turn. Um, we had some guys step up on the team and really decide into themselves no more. They weren't going to have this little two-year low that we got into that Illinois golf was bigger and better than that. And they put their foot down and uh, they actually, you know, bought into what the coaches were saying and actually believed it. And then you, and then you add that with some talent, you bring in Scott Langley and Krista Forrest in that class of like 08, um, uh, who were top juniors and, 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 and saw the culture changing. And then, you, you know, you got those veteran players that decided to put their foot down and change the way things were falling and things were going in a certain direction, and then you you know add that with some talent, uh, momentum gets building. And then um, and like in any sport, golf momentum in golf is huge. Individually, uh, as a, for a professional or an individual player, um, momentum is huge, but also in team atmosphere. And you got guys building on that and buying into it, and it's a lot more fun to, to win than lose. We all know that, and and um, you know guys start helping. Helping uh, the, the the perception, the reputation of the program nationally. We had some guys get back out nationally, and then the recruiting grew and grew. And then you you add players like Luke Guthrie and Brian Campbell and and uh, you know Thomas Peters, and then and then the European chain opened for me. I never I never went overseas. It took me eight or nine years to recruit overseas. A lot of schools were way ahead of the curve on me on that. But I was always kind of partial to the American players at that time in my career. But not knowing what was out there across the world, I, I ventured over and. Thomas Peters was my first international player, and wow, 
talk about a, uh, a force, you know, he was our second individual national champion and, and um, the way he conducted himself and the way he appreciated things it led to Thomas Dietrich recruiting him. And now I've had six international players um, in my 20 years and I've loved every one of them. And, and I tell you, they, 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 they bring a, a confidence and a different, uh, different mindset to a program that if you sprinkle in two or three of those into a team of nine or 10, I still think you keep the personality of an American university, but you bring a different vibe, a different uh, um, mindset. And those guys have really helped uh, this program grow and continue where it's been in the last eight, nine, ten years. You mentioned uh, Thomas Peters and uh, the guys from Belgium. When you bring somebody uh, to your university from that far away, at least in the beginning, the, the first guy to do that, you're kind of rolling the dice. You don't know you know what kind of player you're going to get, but you don't know how well he'll adapt to this. And uh, obviously it's worked out pretty well. Well, it has, and that's that, that's what I was always concerned about. You know, you, these kids are so far away; you don't really know their culture. I didn't know their culture, um, but then you realize they're just like <laughs> mm-hmm. they're just like us. I mean, they're competitors, and they're good athletes. They come from athletic families, and they um, are good students, which is first and foremost in our program. And it's just it, it, it's it's really been a, a great addition to our program the last what is that probably uh, ten years now, where we've had international international players. And again, we don't have we don't recruit the majority of international players, but we try to have the correct mix where they feed off of each other and they can benefit each other and, and, and grow with each other, domestic and international players. And it's, it's been a huge asset. And these kids really appreciate it, the foreign players. They, they come and they see the facilities and they see the academic uh, reputation and the support they get in school. And, and just, the, just the, the university atmosphere um, has, really, has really grown uh, with these international kids. They, they love grabbing a hold of it. They're very loyal people. They're very, they're very loyal when they get with a group. They'll do anything for them, and uh, that's spread throughout the country. There's so many international players in this country now. We're still way under the curve of having international players, but uh, luckily, we've, luckly we've had the right one. You, uh, your team finished uh, NCAA runner-up in 2013, still looking for that NCAA national championship. I predict it will happen. But as you look back on not only the decade, but in your 20 years, what are you most proud of? Is there one thing? you got all those Big Ten championships and all the regional championships and all the players of the year and all the coach of the year honors is there one thing there is would it be the culture that you talked about yeah yeah you know we it, it was written in there not too long ago, I mean, a year or two ago in some of these golf publications that our program has done everything you can imagine to do as a golf program except win the national championship and we have second third 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 fifth fifth and won all these regionals and we dominated the big 10 you know, 10 out of 11 years to win the big 10 championship all these you know you go on and go on about it um, and we're all proud of those things. You never know if they're going to happen when you start. But what I'm proud about is that people people recognize the University of Illinois for its excellence in golf and the, and, 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 and the way we go about our business. And it's become a national name. It's become a blue blood in college golf, which is something I'm very proud of because it didn't have a place in those discussions 20 years ago. It just didn't. And really no Big Ten team did. Mendel Ohio State back in the 70s started to do that for a little bit, but then they, 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 you know, they fell off that. It's so hard to have golf in a, in, in, a, in a climate where you can't play the game outside. You can practice it, but you can't compete outside all year round. You can only do it eight or nine months a year. And to develop a brand where people think of Illinois golf now in such a positive light and being, being so successful and um, understanding what it's done consistently for a better part of 15 to 20 years, that makes me proud. That's what a coach, I think, ultimately wants to do if he wants to be somewhere for a long time is to build a program and not a team. And that's something that we talked about when I first got the job with Ron Gunther. That was our goal. And 
again, I had the support of Ron and all the athletic directors, Josh now, to, to do what we want to do. And, they, you know, they didn't get in our way, and they didn't, um, they didn't hold us back, and they gave us what we needed to do. But they let us go out and do it, create it. Uh, they, they let us go out and create relationships with recruits and teachers and donors and the, and the fan base and within the university. And um, it's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of fun work. But we were not held back, and we were given, we were given the, 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 the go-ahead to go see how good you can be. And um, it's been a lot of work, by the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's been most fun, too. And I tell people all the time, this has not been a job for 20 years. It's become a lifestyle. And I think that's the secret of anybody that's successful is they get up every morning, they enjoy go, and it's not really work. It's a lifestyle, and it's just what it is. And I think people people recognize Illinois golf for that, and they recognize it for consistency and success. And, and when people think of golf, they think of champagne as a golf hub, and that's pretty cool. Well, Mike, tell us about this year's team as you project it, and when's when's your schedule start? <laughs> well, that's been on my mind twenty four seven, Lauren, for the last four or five months. And we've had probably the roughest fall we've had in this whole time. We're talking, we're sitting there celebrating the last decade, but at this point in time, uh, we had we had a rough fall, and uh, we're trying to figure it out. And uh, we had good players, good students. They just, they just killed it again in the classroom. They just uh, knocked it out of the park again with their academics and. And they work hard. The only thing that's missing in our team right now is the results. So we're hoping that this process we're under, taking it every day and getting better and working on our weaknesses and, and being good, solid you know, young men, and um, that the results will follow uh, and follow our work ethic. But um, you know, I think maybe the discussion we're having today about all the success we've had is maybe making it harder on some of these young kids because I think there's more pressure. You know, When you win all these big tens in a row and you go win these in regionals and you go to these final fours and – um, it, it gets harder every year. Expectations are tough for young young athletes to deal with, especially in golf. And I think that might be something we're dealing with, and that's something that we're going to have to get through, and these guys are going to have to learn to deal with. And um, I think the longer things go, the harder they actually become to, to, to keep repeating it. Expectations go up, and I think people's expectations of of college golf teams, especially you know, ours and maybe a couple others, maybe that out of whack a little bit because it's hard to reproduce that every year. And we've defied the odds, for, like I said, a better part of a more over than a decade, but um, maybe that's part of the reason we're trying to figure it out because I believe there's some talent here. I believe there's some skill here. The results just haven't followed this fall. So we got a big spring ahead of us, Lauren. We got uh, we got to come out and get the wins. We got to compete, and we got to we got to play golf with that, uh, that that University of Illinois blue collar chip on our shoulder mentality, where it's an athletic venture. It's not a hobby. You know, when you when you, when you play golf, you want to be good at the game of golf. It's not a hobby. It's a uh, it's a sport. It's an athletic endeavor, and something you got to get down and mix it up with mentally and physically. And, we got to get better at that. Who do you see as the uh, – every team needs leaders. Who do you see as the top two or three guys to lead this team? Well, Michael Fiegels is a returning All-American. Um, I think he's got the ability to, to contend uh, and, and, and to, to win a Big Ten championship and to get us back to the finals of the national championship. But you know, Adrian Dumont, Deja starts a sophomore from Belgium, and he won the Big Ten last year as a freshman. So it shows he has the ability. But, again, the consistency is not there. And then Jerry G., which is a very highly decorated, one of the top ten players in the world, the amateur junior player, um, is getting his feet underneath him after his first fall in school. And I think, you know, freshmen always take a while to get acclimated to college athletics, and I think um, international players are even more so. Um, you know, we're competing in championships and, and tournaments the first week they're in school as a freshman, so there's not a lot of time to get your feet wet and, and get acclimated. But I think the first semester with all our players in the past, it's taken them a while to get going, and Jerry's got his feet underneath him, and I think he could have a great spring too. And then we got seven other players that are they're really good players. They're all talented. they just got to figure things out. So I think it's by committee after that. 
unless somebody steps up and takes control and says no more. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna get I'm gonna get with this thing and I'm gonna toughen up my mindset, narrow my focus, and and get after this. And um, so, but those three I think are gonna have to really, uh, um, you know, if they play to where I I know they can play, I think we have a chance to to get back to where we want to be. Another minute or two with Illini golf coach Mike Small. You mentioned you looked at uh, your coaching job as a lifestyle. Well, part of that lifestyle is Mike Small, the player. He didn't play as much uh, last season as I know you would like. What uh, does this year, what does 2020 look like from that standpoint? <laughs> well, Steve, you're right. Thank you for, for saying that. because I think that's been a huge part of our of our uh, personality and our, our what you talked about earlier, our culture, and that um, I've had, the, I was given the opportunity with from Ron Gunther to play when I got to Illinois as a coach and to, you know, bring a different attraction to a golf program instead of just a coach, bring a player's mentality and somebody that still competes. And that really helped in recruiting. That was, I think it was differentiated us from all the other big 10 schools at the time, but also as it turned out, um, a large, large percentage of the national schools. And I think playing is an important aspect for a coach because that's what players want to do. And if I'm out there winning and failing, the same time they're doing it and still learning the game and, and putting my putting my uh you know putting risk at it um i think they appreciate that and players want to play for somebody that's been to where they've been or, or, or you know where they want to go i should say and right um I, I was grateful for ron to do that and um i had a great i played but 13 major championships i think 10 of them since i've been coaching and had some top 15 top 20 finishes on the pga tour since i've been coaching and that's been a huge asset I want to keep that going, obviously. And on the Champions Tour, I played well the year before summer, summer before last. And uh, but um, I'm getting older, and it's hard to do both. It's harder to keep my game in gear. It's harder to keep my body in shape. And I've had some injuries the last year or two. So I'm going to decide the next couple months what my future is going to look like this summer playing, and see if my body can hold up, and if I mentally can do do it, and and do coaching the level I want to do it while still playing, I'll play, Steve. But if I can't hold my coaching duties up the way I want them to be. While I'm still trying to go out, if it takes more time to get my game to where I think it should be, then I'll probably back off a little bit. But I'm not ready to say that yet. I'm still in the mode of, of the mode of trying to figure that out. So I'll have an answer for you the next time we talk what my schedule looks like. But it is important to have that mentality. Players want to play for somebody that knows the game, that is that has done what they want to do, and has um, you know failed and succeeded. And I think that's a lot you can help these kids with. So I want to keep doing it as much as I can. Good stuff, Mike. Appreciate you taking time for us this morning. Happy New Year, and uh, we'll see you when you get back in town. Guys, thanks for the call. Thanks for thinking of golf in January. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, the last 10 years have been unreal. And here's, here's, here's to another 10. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. That's Illini Golf Coach Mike Small. You need to take a break at 10.51. We'll do that and be back with more after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Illini Pella. Saturday Sports Talk with you for about four more minutes up until 11 o'clock. Appreciate you listening this morning. Our first show of the new decade, the new uh, year, 2020. Had a call off the air, an email, a call off the air about uh, a baseball question, Illini Baseball. Of course, they'll get started here before long. Next month, they'll be getting set to play some baseball games, and they'll have their home opener in the month of March sometime here. And Drew Dickinson, the uh, longtime Illini pitching coach, left. You might remember that uh, last after last season, went to Virginia. And we had a question about the new pitching coach. His name is Mark Allen, and he comes from the San Francisco Giants organization. Lauren? Yeah, he was pitching coordinator for the minor league teams, and they had, I think, like eight minor league teams that he was uh, involved with. And uh, he was with the Cleveland Indians organization from 2010 to 2018, and then Went to the Giants last year, and now he's going to be working for Dan Hartlib. 
as the pitching coach. Again, his name is Mark Allen. So we'll, uh, he's a guy that we'll have on our radar to have on the air one of these days to introduce him uh, to. Doesn't uh, seem to be baseball season quite yet. It doesn't. Uh, <laughs> although I will say, Smalley was talking about uh, thanks for talking golf in January. Well, people that know me, that I'll talk it any month. It actually had a chance to play a couple of January rounds already. Uh, so I don't know if that'll... You're um, tougher than I am. Well, or not as smart, one or the other. <laughs> played January 1st. What, now, 200 people were on the Savoy Golf Course one day just a couple of days ago. I don't know which day. It was probably Thursday. Probably 200 people. I understand. I was there. Sheesh. You had <laughs> to stand in line to get off the tee. No, it wasn't quite that. It was pretty well spread out. But uh, nobody said I was smart, but, uh, <laughs> at least uh, in my log of... What are those greens like? They're not bad. They've, they've, got, uh, they've got two holes cut on the green still. Two holes. So they move the flag back and back forth, and forth so, okay. so you're not playing to the same hole all winter long. They're uh -huh. not going to cut holes, yeah. new ones, but there's yeah. two there. And you can't pick which one you're going to play to. <laughs> <laughs> you got to go where the flag is. I know, because you try that when you... <laughs> yeah, yes, hey, I'm would. closer to this one over here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to putt to that. But uh, <laughs> a couple of January rounds of golf is never bad. So talking uh, baseball in January is not so bad either. And uh, we touched on that a little bit. Uh, Cardinals haven't done anything. They're still in the uh, discussion mode for Ozuna, Marcel Ozuna. They might get him back to left field. And it'll be about time in the next week or two to have Bernie back on, Bernie Miklas. We'll get an idea of what uh, is going on, if anything. Well, we weren't entirely pleased with Ozuna, and I don't think anybody thought he'd be back. Right. But now, as I, as I look back on that season, you need him batting in that fourth spot. They don't have anybody ready to move into that spot, do they? No. And, and I just think that uh, he, he's a really solid pull hitter, strong pull hitter, and he'll strike out, and he'll, you know, I don't think he's got a great arm anymore, but – he catches most things that he gets to. At least once upon a time, he was a defensive a gold glove guy. Yeah, how how'd that happen? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. But anyway, he did he did get one. But the thing is that um, he does hit some hard ground balls to third with a man on first, and it's a double play before <laughs> right. he gets out of the box. But if he gets the ball up in the air at all, and he hits some ball, so a lot of shots right down that line. I I think they need him. I the Cardinals don't have enough hitters to, to let him go. We are just about out of time. Mr. Tate, appreciate your time. All right. Thanks to our guest today, Doug Bouchon from Orange and Blue News, Rivals.com, John Christman from ESPN, Talking College Basketball, former Illinois quarterback Nathan Shieldhouse spent about 20 minutes with us as well, as did Illini golf coach Mike Small. Appreciate uh, you callers and everybody listening on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Thanks to Blake Landa for his help behind the scenes on WDWS Champaign-Urbana. This is Steve Kelly. Have a good weekend. Don't forget Illinois basketball coming up tomorrow night here on DWS. Have a good one.